The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Lord, we pray that the work of your Holy Spirit would begin right here in your church. Grant us repentance. Give us a hunger for your word. Use us, we pray, in speaking the truth of the gospel. The only hope to the people around us. The only source of real change in our society and culture. We give thanks for your word. That it does not return void. And so we expect that you will speak to us and use it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say, say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. Well, if you remember, at this point in the early church, there there are over 20,000 people who believe in Jesus. We've seen the spread of the gospel following the pattern that Jesus gave in verse 8 of chapter 1 in Acts. How it began in Jerusalem, and then Philip's great success in Samaria, and now to a person 
who represents the ends of the earth. F.F. Bruce comments that since Homer's time, the Ethiopians were regarded as living on the edge of the world. The conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch signals the continued spread of salvation to all nations. And Luke gives us several significant descriptions concerning this man. But before we look at these descriptions, I want you to consider first this particular calling of God. And when we do, we realize that God's ways are not our ways. That in this life, we have to admit that, that what we see is, is really small. Very small. And because of our limited view, we tend to question what God is doing, don't we? I imagine when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed by the answers. People talk about, I have these, all these questions for God. We're going to be amazed at the answers of every single question you've ever had about God. The realization, you'll have a realization of the big picture, the providence of God. I mention this because God's call to Philip, well, it doesn't seem like a very good evangelistic idea. Philip, he just experienced this incredible success among, among, among a very difficult people group. The people group with 10,000 years of animosity. A people who were amazed by Simon Magus, the sorcerer. They were saying of him, this man is the power of God that is called great. And then Philip comes on the scene and God gives him the ability to do miraculous signs so the people would pay attention to him instead of Simon. Paying attention to him so that he could preach the gospel of salvation. It's a miraculous work for a very needy and difficult people who, who are possessed by demons. Who were afflicted by crippling disease. And Philip casts out demons and heals and preaches the gospel. They hear the gospel. They believe in Jesus. And then the apostles come and they pray for them. They lay hands on them. And this, this other type of Pentecost event occurs where the Holy Spirit falls all over them, communicating that dividing walls of a hostility, they're torn down. They're one in Christ co-heirs of the faith with, with, the Jew, with people who were previously enemies. They're one because they, they see Jesus as Messiah. So with all that's happened, any good missionary, any solid evangelist would say, there's a lot of work to be done here. We need to, we need to stay and disciple these peoples, Right? We need to, to give them a solid foundation for their worship and growth. Our work has only just begun. We know the same thing in our day, that any good evangelistic crusade is going to plan and organize an army of church volunteers to, to follow up with any 
people who come to know Christ, to plug them into a good church, make sure they're growing in Christ. So what happens next is, is really, it's a bit surprising. The apostles, what did they do? They came, laid hands on them, prayed for them. Then they go back to Jerusalem. The apostles go back to Jerusalem, and then God tells Philip, rise and go down to the desert. And from our perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It shouldn't make a lot of sense if you really pay attention and think about this. Not only because of the the needed follow-up, but you have to wonder how many more Samaritans are ripe for the harvest. Why leave a a populated area for for a desert road that stretches down to Egypt? interesting how God works. And it's remarkable. It says a lot about the character of Philip, that we don't see him objecting or questioning, but simply obeying God. What God called him to do, it seems that he he did with joy. So we wonder, if it were me, if it were you, how would we respond? We might have said, well, yes, Lord, I'll go wherever you want. But, but now? Shouldn't we wait a month or two? I mean, there's a lot going on here in Samaria. It's a revival, and my work is needed here. After all, isn't this where you told me to go? And you've used me here. So wouldn't it make sense, Lord, to seize the opportunity, the momentum, and, and maybe just give it a little more time? Or maybe we'd say, me? Aren't there other Christians better suited for that work in the desert? How about the apostles? They're just sitting around in Jerusalem. Maybe you should send them. Maybe you should put them to work. Didn't Jesus tell them to go too, Lord? All they seem to be doing is coming and checking up on my work. Put them to work. Send them, Lord. Or maybe, yes, Lord, but not there. Nobody even lives there. It's just a desert road. If I need to go, how about you send me to a place where, I don't know, there's people? But amazingly, we don't get the impression that Philip thought any of these things. I think think Philip knew something. He knew something that we need to keep in mind, that that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And as we'll see, Philip seems to be very familiar with the book of Isaiah, where we read this very thing, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's good to to keep this in mind. To keep in mind that we are not peers with God discussing options with him. It's good to remember this truth because there's always going to be something in your life that doesn't make sense in the moment And you'll wonder, 
why did God do that? Or why doesn't he do this? For example, for years, for years, we as a church have been trying to get Pastor Sam and Millie to visit us here in the United States. Especially now, as Pastor Dale can't go down there anymore. To see, to be reunited. To, to Wouldn't that be glorious? It seems like such a good thing. But the government keeps denying the request. The Lord is able to do this. Why doesn't he? God, why won't you make this happen? And then, recently, the, their ministry in Malawi, Malawi is going so well. And they've been, now they're required to go back. They've moved back to Zimbabwe. Why? Why now? Doesn't seem to make sense. The Lord knows. And Lord, why ALS? Pastor Dale, in the midst of his ministry, why are some of you, brothers and sisters, suffering with Parkinson's? Why disability? Why did the Lord take that loved one? All of these questions. God's ways are not our ways. You can imagine the question in January of 1956 when five young missionaries were speared to death while trying to bring Jesus to uncivilized Indians, an uncivilized Indian tribe in Ecuador. And yet, after some years, we see the hand of God as some of their widows return and minister to the very people who killed their husbands. And the ex what do we see? The explosion of missions that sprung from this, this confusing at the time event. Why would God do that? We see missions exploding. And now the famous words of Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher. He sees, he sees the big picture. He ordains what's best. And we need to trust him. We need to trust him knowing that one day we're going to marvel. We're going to marvel at all of his decisions we're going to praise him for, for each and every one of them. When Philip was given this call, he didn't know the big picture and how God would, would use this. And we don't know. Maybe, but maybe, maybe this one Ethiopian eunuch began a spread of the gospel to northern Africa. Maybe that's what happened as a result of this. After all, some of the most important names in early church history were Africans. Cyprian, Tertullian, Augustine. The conversion of this one man may seem small, much less significant than the revival going on in Samaria. And yet, did it lead to Augustine? One of the greatest theologians the church has ever known continues to impact us to this day. 
God's ways are best. What seems confusing or maybe insignificant to us may result in something very big for the kingdom. So like Philip, it really isn't our place to question God. But to trust him, to obey his word. So Philip goes. And on this road to Gaza, he runs into this man. And what do we know about him? What details do we see in, in our passage? Well, he's an Ethiopian. He's a black man from a large region of Africa, south of Egypt. Today, Ethiopia is a much smaller country to the southeast of Egypt. But back then, it referred to the whole region of the Upper Nile. This man had come from a very long distance. Some estimate that it was a five-month journey each way. Uphill each way, probably, in the snow. Probably no snow. He had to, he, he'd come to worship in Jerusalem. And when Philip encounters him, he's returning home. Why is an Ethiopian coming to Jerusalem? Why is he even familiar with Judaism? He's coming to worship. He's going to the temple to worship. Why is he familiar with Judaism? So far away. Well, could it be another providential encounter from Solomon's day? When the queen of Sheba, who would have been from this region, traveled to search out Solomon's wisdom and wealth and was super impressed by him. Isn't it likely that Solomon would have shared the Jewish scriptures with her? So who knows? Who knows? Over these hundreds of years, there may have been a remnant of God-fearers in Ethiopia. It seems likely because, because somehow this Ethiopian eunuch got the idea to travel all of this way in search of God. So some tradition, some word was passed down to him. And God is using this to orchestrate this meeting with Philip. Don't you love the providence of God? I mean, I'm speculating, but... There's details that, that are associated with, with what's happening here. What small detail, what unlikely event prompted this man to make this journey? And then the perfect timing of it all as God calls Philip to go. And then when he comes upon him, Philip hears him reading probably the best Old Testament passage to communicate the gospel. So this is a, a black man from Africa with some knowledge of Judaism, traveling a great distance, searching for God. And then on his return trip, we see that God is the one who is seeking him. What else do we know about this man? Well, he's described as a eunuch. In some countries, a, a common man might choose to be castrated and forego marriage and children in order to serve in the royal palace. They never gained the status of royalty, but they were 
They were trusted servants with the possibility of gaining great wealth. And the reason they needed to be eunuchs had to do with their sexual fidelity. A single-hearted devotion to their work. And obviously, castration showed both devotion and an ability to be trusted in overseeing the king's harem would be one position. Or working with the queen, this position. In this man's case, he's, he's working with the queen. He's in charge of her treasure. Now, finances were not the job of the king. In ancient Ethiopia, the king is thought of to be a descendant of the gods. And so they were considered too holy to be in charge of, of finances, of business. So the king reigned, but the queen ruled. So the business of the empire is put into the hands of the queen mother. And as the queen mother, she's given the title or the name Candace. So this particular unit had great authority and wealth. And his wealth is, is also obvious in that he's riding in a chariot. In those days, most people traveled by foot. The prosperous rode on a donkey. Military generals rode on horseback. And a chariot communicated wealth. Another sign of his wealth is that he has his own personal scroll of Isaiah. Common people didn't have their own Bibles. We're so blessed. They didn't have their own scriptures with them. So he was wealthy. He had his own scroll of Isaiah. Also, if he were just a minor court official in the court of Candace, he wouldn't have the freedom to take such a long journey. So what we gather from all of this, this is a really important man. The keeper of the treasury of what was a very rich country. And he's free to go. So he came all this way. Five months traveling in a chariot. Likely an entourage with someone else holding the reins as he's sitting in the chariot reading. Also, he seems to be a religious man. He's wanting to know more about Judaism. And we can assume that his experience in Jerusalem was probably really disappointing. He's in search for God, knowing nothing of Jesus. And as a Gentile or, or a non-Jew, he would have been restricted to this outer court, this court of the Gentiles, if... At best, he would be in this court of the Gentiles if he kept his status of eunuch secret. If they didn't know he was a eunuch. If they knew he was a eunuch, he wouldn't even be allowed there because the law, according to Deuteronomy 23, explicitly forbade eunuchs from entering any part of the temple. So if he wasn't allowed there, then maybe he attended synagogue. He was a, a God-fearer, a person interested in Judaism, searching for God, traveling a great distance, and at great cost, but excluded. So it had to be very frustrating 
a very frustrating experience. The best part of his journey seems to be that he, he was able to buy his own scroll of Isaiah. And yet, what we see in the text is he doesn't even understand it. Aren't you glad you don't have to travel to some distant land? That there's no, there's no pilgrimage to some temple, but instead, together, we are living stones making up this temple joined together. And individually, the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, and so Jesus is with us wherever we go. Recently, you may have heard news, amazingly, in, in national news about some kind of revival going on at Asbury, a Christian university and seminary in Kentucky. And apparently people, they're traveling from all over the country to be there. And I, I look at this and I think, oh, I hope God is truly at work there. Isn't that, wouldn't that be great? I hope God is, is at work. But you don't have to travel to Kentucky to experience revival, do you? You don't have to go there. He indwells each believer. And true revival will always highlight and proclaim God's word, penetrating our hearts, bringing about conviction of sin, repentance and obedience to God. You don't have to go to Kentucky. Pray that God is doing a work there, but you don't have to go. Pray for a revival here. The gospel is the power of God to save. And there was a great revival going on in Samaria. But God sent Philip to proclaim the word on a desert road. Pray for revival. It's the only real answer to the problems in our country and our world. But revival, it, it starts here. Repentance begins in the house of the Lord. So pray that God enable us to obey him, to turn from sin, that we'd be like that early church in our devotion to prayer and to the scriptures and to a fellowship with one another that encourages and spreads the gospel. I hope this is what's happening in Kentucky. And I hope this is what's happening right here. Our friend in the desert is returning from a Judaism that Jesus said was empty. Like those ceremonial water jars at the wedding. Empty. He was coming back from a place of, of blindness as they rejected the Messiah. The Messiah who declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This man had to be frustrated. Returning from an empty, dark, hopeless, hopelessly legalistic and political religion. And I wonder how many people today experience the sense of emptiness and frustration with the American church. Thirsting for God, but finding Rules and politics or entertainment instead of word and sacrament. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't find God in Jerusalem. 
But he did find something that would lead him to God. He had it in his hands, the word of God, and he was reading it. And it makes me think of St. Augustine and his conversion. In his despair, he falls to the ground and he hears what he describes as children singing or chanting the words, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. So he opens the scriptures and reads what convicted him of the very sin he was struggling with. And he repented and turned to the Lord. And he was filled with joy. And the world has forever been changed. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't find God in Jerusalem, but he did in the written word. And God is the one who sought after him by sending Philip to explain what he was reading. When Philip comes upon the scene, the the man is, is reading aloud. Apparently something everyone at that time did. I think it was around the 4th century. People were amazed that someone had the skill of reading silently in their heads. So everyone read aloud. Philip comes upon him at that time. And he heard him reading from Isaiah. At the time, he was in chapter 53. We don't know how long this this journey was, but we can assume it probably started with chapter 1, like most of us would. And then we can imagine him getting to chapter 6 and reading about the year that King Uzziah died and Isaiah's great vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He would have read about the seraphim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in reading this, he must have thought, Now this, this is what I'm after. This is what I long to see. To know the holy God. To have a vision of the one for whom my soul is thirsting for and did he read about the sins of the people and that our sin bars us from god did he read about god's holiness and his just judgment against our sin did he read the invitation come everyone who's thirsty come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price Come, if he read all that, he must have had some understanding about himself, his sin, the sinfulness of those around him. He must have learned that God both invites us to come and yet we're unable to come because of our sin. And if this is so, how significant is the passage he was reading aloud? Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Isn't God's word amazing? Today we read this from a perspective knowing that it speaks of Jesus hundreds of years before he was born of a virgin. God has given us understanding and yet this man 
didn't understand what he was reading. And when a person doesn't understand, it's important that he asks for help, and this is what he does. Ask questions. You, ask questions when you read God's Word. Look for answers. Ask a Christian friend. Always feel free to ask me because you know that I love questions and I want to be helpful. And this man's question was a great one. Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Again, how amazing is the providence of God? Philip goes to a road in the middle of nowhere. And as he approaches this chariot, he hears this man reading an incredibly significant portion of Scripture. And then Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? Unbelievers say, wow, what a coincidence. And we say, oh, the providence of God. The man replies with a great question. And then we read some very important words in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Great words of instruction. God calls us to open our mouths. Speak the truth. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save. People won't believe unless we speak. Faith comes from hearing the Word. People need the Word of God, and they they need you to tell them what it says. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And when you read this, it sure reminds us of, of Jesus, doesn't it? Philip's on a road, And Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, said something really similar to this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is the key to scripture. All of biblical history describes and points to him. So when you read your Bibles, look for Jesus. And as you move throughout your day, look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. I love this providential encounter. Are we looking for something similar in our lives? Are we expecting God to to guide us? Are we praying for opportunities to share the gospel and and then actually looking paying attention to the people around us, and then, and then opening our mouths with an expectation of God actually speaking through us. What a great and incredible privilege. Do you ever see someone, if you go to a coffee shop, do you ever see someone just sitting in the coffee shop, Bible open reading? I have. And Typically, when I see that, I just assume that they're a believer and I leave them alone. But maybe they're not. Maybe God wants me, wants you to go up to them and say, Excuse me, do you understand what you're reading? Who knows? One day I was meeting a a Christian brother at Malello's and we were talking about something in God's word. I can't remember what. 
it was enough. The conversation was enough to get a woman's attention who was sitting nearby. And she actually came up to us and asked what we were talking about. Well, that sounds like an interesting conversation. Can you tell me about what you're, what this is? And we had this great conversation with her. It didn't lead to her conversion. She was, she was into all sorts of world religions. But it was a wonderful opportunity to tell her the difference between Christianity and every world religion. How Christianity is different. So again, it didn't lead to her conversion, but it was in a public place. And I have to wonder, maybe it was for someone else listening nearby. God promises that his word does not return void, meaning that it will have an effect. It'll either soften a heart or harden it. God's word is like a sword. It pierces down to a person's soul. It reveals a person's heart. And God's word had a transformative effect on the Ethiopian eunuch. As he read about the the suffering servant who came to be his savior, the chapter he read speaks of substitutionary atonement. And how Jesus took our griefs and carried our sorrows. That he was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. And that we all like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Philip told him about Jesus and how he fulfilled this very prophecy. And like all of the preaching of the early church, he must have emphasized the resurrection the recent event of Jesus' ascension to glory, that he is the one pictured in Isaiah 6, sitting upon his heavenly throne, exalted. And because the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? We also imagine that Philip told him about Jesus commanding them to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This Ethiopian man, he represents Gentiles and the beginning of the gospel spread to the end of the world. But he also represents all who are broken, all who are unfit for the presence of God. And he felt this because because of his race, because of his status as a eunuch, kept from entering into the worship of of Judaism. But maybe Philip told him, you know there's a new temple where we receive full membership. That there's good news to everyone afflicted with physical disability. And in understanding the gospel and God's acceptance through Jesus, this was another reason he asks, is there anything that prevents me? Shouldn't I be baptized? If I understand the gospel, then then I'm in Christ and nothing keeps me from him. All these other things that kept me from God are no longer true. Nothing prevents me. Nothing keeps me from him. There's some water 
Oh, I hope any of you who believe in Jesus will want the same thing. I grew up in the church and silly... I, I didn't get baptized till I was like 19. I was convicted that I'm being disobedient to Jesus. I didn't understand this apparently. What a, what a joy, what a... What a privilege to be identified, to have the sign and seal that identifies me with Christ, to receive this sign and seal of the new covenant, covenant that promises you blessing when you're identified with Jesus. You know, we're going to be doing baptisms this summer. We've advertised uh, in our announcements, put on your, your calendar, the church camp out, So please, if you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, you need to be baptized. You should look forward to that. I hope that that you'll plan on this. It's it's the Saturday of our camp out. It's July 1st. You don't have to camp out to be there. Actually, a lot of people just show up for the day and we have a meal and we have have baptisms. So so be a part of that. If If you love him... If you love Jesus, you'll want to obey him. And in loving him, you should be anxious. You should be anxious to be identified with him through the sign and seal of baptism. There's no greater identity. It's because of him and him alone that you're welcomed into the presence of God. He's the hero. He's the only Savior who bore your sins and was pierced for you, bringing you ultimate healing and peace with God. Like this Ethiopian eunuch, the only barrier that keeps any of us from a holy God is our sin. It's not race or sex. It's not social status or disability. In Christ, we are forgiven and made whole. The gospel, the gospel calls us to repent, to turn from our sin and turn in faith to Jesus, the only Savior. And when we do... Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For the Lord, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Well, good news for this Ethiopian eunuch. What great news for all of us that God has made a promise to us in Christ and that when we hold fast to him in faith, he promises to prepare a place for us in his house and to bless us beyond beyond any earthly legacy. Isn't that great news? Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, Jesus, our Savior and friend, our helper who reveals and unites us to Christ, we give you praise. 
Lord, we submit to the wonderful truth that your ways are not our ways. That you are perfect in wisdom and goodness. That that when we don't understand, we can trust that you are at work. That you have a plan. That you're writing the story. Lord, you're so good and gracious to write us into your story. And to use us in any way for the sake of your kingdom. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Lord, give us hearts that long for these gifts and the desire to impact the world around us. Create in us a clean heart. Cause us to to pray for revival in our own hearts, to be instruments of hope and change with expectant eyes, wide open, wide open to the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for your your goodness and grace to us. We pray in Jesus' name.